Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Erica Cussman, the General Manager and CMO of Paula's Choice. Welcome, Erica. Hi, thanks for having me. Erica, you know, Paula's Choice is one of these beloved brands, and you joined the company in 2016, um, almost 20 years after it started in 1995. So I'm wondering if you could lay the land for us a little bit. Like, where was Paula's Choice when you first joined? So Paula's Choice started because Paula Begon, our founder, she was this grassroots watchdog. And so she was researching and writing about skincare and skincare ingredients and what people, what ingredients you should use and what ingredients you shouldn't use. And those, those standards were translated into Paula's Choice Skincare. That was 25 years ago when we first launched skincare. What I will say is that we have had so much innovation since, but those same standards about the really effective ingredients that are very beneficial for skin, and then the ingredients you should not use, the, you know, the standards of non-irritating, fragrance-free, also cruelty-free, those have kind of been this through line throughout since we started. And so when I came here in 2016, what I saw was this beloved cult favorite. Their insiders who really, really knew skincare knew about it, and there was a lot of respect for these gold standard products. There were also a number of people who had found Paula's Choice because they had skin concerns and skin problems, and they had often tried a lot of different products and weren't able to get their problems resolved. And so, and they found Paula's Choice as the solution for that. Sometimes they even found Paula and the team's books first. Sometimes they came straight to uh, the, 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 the skincare itself. So what you had was this cult favorite brand, but it was a pretty small cult. Uh, it really wasn't a really well-known brand at all. And you had this really loyal customer base because of what, what Polish Race Skincare had done for their skin. And so just this low awareness and this brand that was kind of waiting to, waiting to be introduced to a lot more people into the world. So Erica, you had a vast array of experience before joining Paula's Choice. You were at Revlon, you were at Rodin and Fields, and Paula's Choice arguably wasn't exactly an indie in the, you know, 2016 sense. It was, you know, a cult favorite brand that, you know, could have bigger awareness. Um, it was something that insiders knew about, but maybe not the masses. So how did you kind of go about getting it, the mega awareness that you thought it deserved? Yeah, I mean, I think probably to start is, you know, my impressions of the brand and why I even came to begin with. I mean, so first and foremost is is the quality of the products, the products work. And without that, that's, that's the customer's lived experience with the brand. Without that, there's nothing. And so just seeing the quality of products, that was there and that needed to be there. But what I saw that was so different um, all in addition to these products that had just been so well respected was one this history this long history of of 
empowering uh, empowering people with knowledge about skincare and skincare ingredients. And I, you know, Paula was a little bit ahead of her time. She and the research team and what I knew in the current environment was that customers were becoming a lot more savvy. They were wanting to educate themselves and be informed so much more than than ever before. And so I, even though Paula had, Paula's Choice had this long history, it was really clear that this was really going to be the right brand right now. Um, and then the other thing I saw that was, I, I really kind of, you know, I, I, I've, as you mentioned, I've been in brand and marketing for a long time, but the truth and transparency of this brand, and that really means that we had always really spoken directly to customer. We would say, this ingredient does this, it doesn't do this. We're not going to overpromise. This ingredient is great for these skin types. It might not work for your skin type. And we just want you to take the best care of your skin. And that was really when I when I got when I really dug in and got to know the brand when I joined, that was I, I saw that as so refreshing. I personally did. I also knew that would be really refreshing to the customer who, you know, just with social media and having we just with customers wanting to be more a part of the conversation and it needed to be a two-way conversation, um, this kind of just honesty behind the brand was, was going, I knew it was going to strike a chord. Absolutely. You know, I think what's so interesting about Paula's Choice, Erica, at least for me personally, is that it was this cult favorite brand, of course, like, you know, among, among insiders and beauty junkies and people who really love skincare. But I mean, at the time, you know, you were digitally native always, you know, you had all this robust information about ingredients. And, you know, in 2016, the last five, six years, this was really when the clean, quote unquote, movement, clinical movement kind of blew up. So there was a lot of kind of, I would say, copycats to what Paula had been doing for 20 years. So I'm wondering from your perspective, like how much, you know, was the awareness piece important to kind of compete in this landscape? You know, there were so many other people trying to do what you do, but you're the you know, the OG of the bunch. So will you talk a little bit about that? Right. And awareness is so important because that was the big opportunity was to, was to connect so many more people to this brand, to introduce Paula's choice to so many more people, because we saw what it did and how beloved it was and how can we bring it to more people. So, so you're right. That was the opportunity. And, you know, first, first and foremost, one of the first things I did was we did a rebrand um, but the rebrand was very much rooted in kind of those 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 the pillars of the brand, and they're the things I was talking about earlier of our product philosophy, um, advocating and and empowerment through knowledge and um, and truth and transparency, and always being dedicated to those. So those things were, like I said, the through lines. Those were always going to be what we are about. But we had we really needed to define that, and then really think about the look and feel. Um, the brand cues, the voice, and how to what all of those what what that brand identity was going to be as we brought it to so many more people. And there are a few reasons that's important. One is if you're going to be raising a, 
really driving awareness, you want to be consistent. So you get that recognition and it's working harder for you. The the most important thing is really to cut through. So how can this brand cut through? And so those pillars are really important. You know, we really did a whole rebrand with a repack and all of our touch points. And what really was what, what we call what the big brand idea is beauty begins with truth. So really bringing forward with this awareness and with so many other brands, um, still these principles of the standards of our products, what you should use and what you shouldn't use. Because clean is really about people wanting to be knowledgeable and safe with what they put on their skin. And so our research in terms of our, you know, our work in terms of making sure our products are, the ingredients are heavily researched. What's proven efficacious, beneficial for skin, but also what's proven safe and really understanding the non-irritating ingredient, excuse me, the irritating ingredients so that it will be non-irritating. You know, when we develop products, we have a list of hundreds of products, of hundreds of ingredients that are these no ingredients that are, that we will not include in our formulations. So for us to keep those standards, continue driving those standards with our products, and for that to be um, just part of who coming through in our DNA as a brand um, were important things that we focused on to really cut through. The other pieces we have that that help substantiate that and that underscore that are, for instance, our content. So when I started, so we have been writing books and writing content even before we started Paula's Trace Skincare, like I said. When I joined, we were really heavy on the long-form content. So what, and that's great for the people who might really have those problems. And so they want to dedicate that time to researching our site and reading 10 expert advice articles. Um, Also, you know, uh, our ingredient dictionary articles were favorites of editors, but we, what we, what there was an opportunity to do was still keeping that foundation of all that work and that research more bringing it to more people through more channels and more formats. So um, YouTube, social media, um, having just bite-sized content across our entire digital experience, including, including our site. Um, You know, another, another way that we really focused on awareness was, you know, I talked about this loyalty and this advocacy that we had. We're a brand that had really been so much about word of mouth, and there was an opportunity to really amplify that um, and explode that. And then you mentioned kind of at the start, being a D2C business, there um, just so much opportunity and runway to scale in that digital channel, which is something I've really been focusing on over the last few years. So Erica, I'm wondering for you, like, you know, how did you feel about social media and maybe slicing and dicing this content to be a little bit more digestible? Because you know, there's so much misinformation. I think we've learned that in multiple ways over the last year on social media. But, you know, within beauty, you know, brands can say they're clean. Brands can say they prove these results. And, like, I think that's what the benefit probably was of having that long-form content. But how do you slice and dice that for Instagram? And then now on TikTok, where you guys have totally blown up in the last year. So it's all about, first and foremost, all the content laddering back to our research and our knowledge. So, if you were to see, um, if you were to see a Formula Friday post on Instagram or one of our TikTok posts, that would be knowledge that would be consistent with an article we might have written, or maybe an entry in in our ingredient dictionary. It might be 
um, visually right for that channel. It might be, um, it, you know, it might include someone talking instead of someone reading. It might, you know, the, the, the length might be different. Um, but it all, it needs to be right for those channels. There are so many different ways that people are, are engaging on with skincare and, um, ingredients and information. And so it's, it's just about thinking about that channel and that format and that customer. And, um, just through that lens, what is that? Maybe it's a bite-sized piece of it. Maybe there is one quick fact. Um, sometimes we've done things like we have, um, these decision trees that we've created in Instagram that people really love. And I've actually shared with people when they ask me questions, it's like, which, um, SPF moisturizer should I use for this skin concern? And I'll be like, Hey, this is for you. I've even shared it with people I know. So there are all sorts of really creative ways. And what we do is, you know, our social media team is we have an in-house team, um, here and globally we do as well. And they are, um, very, they're, they have a deep product knowledge. They work real, and they also work really closely with our content team. So we, um, we really can make sure that that knowledge and that education is coming through, you know, across the board, wherever, wherever we're speaking to the customer. How hard is that to do in this environment with COVID and, and the pandemic and providing levity and education and information to probably a much larger audience? So I, what we have found in COVID are a few things. One is that people are home and they are taking the time to, more time even, to engage with us on social or engage with us on chat. So we, our client services team, for instance, is very um, incredibly experienced. They're all skin care specialists. So for us to be able to lean into being able to answer those questions and have those conversations, we, you're right about the levity. And as we think about our content, we, we do kind of a mix of, you know, kind of these fun memes that still really make the point of what a certain product can do for you, um, or getting that information across. Um, we also, some of the roots in terms of, you know, our products that work and being a trustworthy brand, those really come through and strike a chord right now with COVID. I mean, there's so much chaos in the world. So having that confidence that a product will work. So in our content, you know, being, being able to provide that information and being able to reassure, reassure of that. Um, and then also that kind of that straightforward truthfulness, it's, there's just a lot going on and people are hearing a lot of different things. So to not be part of the noise, but to be this voice of truth and really to be, um, be there for the customer in that way has some, has been something that we're hearing from our customers that they really appreciate. So you think that they're kind of tired or maybe kind of, you know, inundated with misinformation. So they feel like you're really like that girlfriend or best friend that they can trust almost. It does. It does seem that way. When I talk to, when I look at the conversations on social, either comments on our post um, or the DMs we're getting, um, my client services team, what, what I'm reading back, what they're reading back to me, that's, that's what I'm getting is that we're, they're looking for us. They're looking for us to help. They're also, um, they also sometimes, sometimes I wouldn't say that they have 
significant problems or concerns, but they do want to lean into their skincare routine. And it's comforting to have this knowledge and this really great advice and to be able to come to us for that. Right. How has your customer changed this last year? You know, especially with the TikTok, you know, audience, which I'm fascinated by because I think that, you know, TikTok has really brought some of these OG brands to like the forefront again and making them cool and fun. But I imagine it's much, I imagine marketing to them is very different than marketing to millennials or boomers or, you know, Gen X. Right. So we, we do... We do over-index with, if you look at the overall skincare category, we do over-index with um, millennial and Gen Z customers. I will say that if you look at all of Paula's choice and our entire customer base, we're very evenly split across age groups. Um, And this is because, you know, if you have this ethos and this core of helping people get the best skincare, that applies to whether you have acne, whether you have pores, whether you have wrinkles. And so, and just... That, you know, knowledge empowerment is some, you know, something that everyone's looking for. Truth and transparency is something that everyone's looking for. I will say that, you know, if we talk about specifically the, this, these younger generations, um, they're, they're very, they are quite savvy. They're doing a lot of ingredient research. Specifically, I know what's interesting about TikTok is that um, it, it, it is a place where you can have kind of quick education and hacks. And so, as we talked about earlier, where, you know, we have everything from this long form, sort of more serious, researchy content to that can be translated, that can be translated into a skincare routine um, or, you know, something fun for these channels. Um, I think the other thing, too, is we we work with creators who have tried our products and really really have had this experience where um, they fall in love with our products. And so that that is a really powerful thing when they amplify it. We also find that the creators who work with us are quite skincare engaged and knowledgeable as well. It's just, it's, it's just you know, we come, come at it from the same place and there's just a similar ethos of the cre- creators that are attracted to our brand and, and, and ones that our brand is attracted to. So that really helps us across, you know, really to be able to reach these different age groups in relevant ways. Kind of back to your first, what you were first mentioning of there are so many different channels and you do variate it as it makes sense for that channel and that audience. But um, all again, going back to the core of, of that, that, that research that we use. You know, Erica, I'm always fascinated with how a marketer's job, I know obviously your job is multifaceted as a general manager and marketer for the company, but you know, when you're balancing, you know, brand marketing, which is what we've talked a lot about, but also with performance marketing and digital marketing, like tell me what that looks like to you and, and to the brand. Right. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, digital is such an opportunity. We were, I think we must have been the first beauty company, if not the first skincare brand to launch online as a brand when we did it 25 years ago. And it's the lion's share of our business. To think about being a D2C brand and the opportunity on digital for us, and then also at the same time, introducing people to our brand, we thought about it in a few different ways. One was you know, how can we, we really focus on this digital full funnel and bringing people into our digital ecosystem because ultimately our site is where they're going to buy our product. We're not mass distributed. So it's not one of these situations where if they hear about us the next time they're in any store, they can find us. So 
getting, joining our, being part of our digital ecosystem is a really important thing. So thinking about the right channels there and then thinking about ways we can do this that are right for our brand. So I'll give an example. YouTube, for instance, is that was a, YouTube is a channel where we've been able to tell our brand and product story um, and often to people who are just being introduced to our brand and might be new to our brand. There's a lot of scale on YouTube if you just think about the audience size of YouTube, but you can also be targeted um, because you that's just that's just how um, marketing on that channel works. And so for us to be able to have this, we kind of call it precision marketing, where the right message and the right content on the right channel to that customer, that's a great way to do that. And really, you know, what's great about YouTube is it's video, so you can do it in this really brand forward way. Another, another important channel is search for us. We have a really talented team, both on paid and organic there. Our roots are helping pe- solve people's problems, answering their questions. So that can be anything from really push, leveraging hard the organic content we have to answer their questions, address their concerns, um, and appearing on search in the right places where we can we can answer their question we can address that concern we can be there for them when they're in that journey and that mindset um, so search is really is important there um, social is another one um, and then we th- as because we think about on social we have I mean there's paid social and also as we think about our owned channels and earned on social there there with the loyalty we have around the brand, we tapping into this word of mouth of people telling the story for us and being this, these advocates for the brand and being part of this, just we call it this legion of advocates was something I knew was powerful when we joined the brand because we already had proof points of that and being able to introduce the brand to more people who would tell the story uh, was a really important thing. And then I think lastly, just our own channels of our site. So when people are getting introduced to our brand, they come to our site. So having that site be this brand experience where they can understand the brand, get the re- get really relevant content served to them to be able to um, learn and get the right products for them. That's something we focus a lot on and we focus on it through the right content, um, how we think about our landing pages and our articles. And we think about it a lot. We do a lot of personalization as well. So you can tell if you've been engaging with, really engaging with certain aspects of the brand, we can, we can personalize that journey so that we're continuing to really provide this relevant content and this experience that's going to, again, answer their needs. And now a word from our sponsor. Erica, I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, how does this all translate to product? Because I know that you guys have been so diligent about your product cadence. You know, you're very, you're very purposeful in that. And I know, I think the best example of that was last year when you did a limited run of what has now become your best-selling product on your site. And it was a build on a hero product. So, you know, you're getting so much information. So many people say nowadays, like the data is the most important thing with digital, like knowing your customer. And you've got plenty of that. You've got 25 years of that. So I'm wondering how this information, these touch points and the connection with content and and influencers is then informing, you know, what you end up launching. Mm -hmm. We did launch in um, just this month, we launched a product called the 25% AHA, 2% BHA exfoliating peel. 
we launched it as a permanent item this month. We had actually launched it as a limited edition run last June. The reason we did that was, you know, there's this, there's this world of exfoliants and exfoliants kind of, in the entire world of exfoliants, there are these scrubs, you know, just more of the physical scrubs, more abrasive. There's all, there are also these liquid leave-on exfoliants, typically AHAs, BHAs, PHAs. We play in that second area. We have done a lot of research on those ingredients. We also, our, our core tenants are non-irritating, and um, so we avoid those abrasive scrubs. So we have been a player in that exfoliant world for a long time. It has been an emerging and growing category, um, and we've been leading the way. Our 2% BHA liquid is a top product there. Meantime, and this that's a daily or twice a daily, twice a day product. Meantime, we had gotten a lot of interest from our customers and we'd heard from influencers on more of a high concentration kind of a weekly type of a product um, of, exfoli of exfoliation. And we heard this everywhere from we constantly run surveys to we have the voice of the customer through client surveys to we're constantly engaging with our customers on social media. Um, our influencers will talk to us. And so we had heard this need and we were what we weren't sure of was what the acceptance would be because we are just known for this daily, twice a day product um, and what the acceptance would be of a higher concentration acid. And so what we did is we, one, really spent a lot of time in formulating. So we wanted to make sure it was very effective, but also non-irritating. So in that 25% AHA, there is a whole mix of different alpha, uh, alpha hydroxy acids that we use um, to get that maximum, maximum benefit. Um, without the irritation, um, the BHA as well, and all these soothing ingredients we included. So that formulation process was really research-driven, and we tested it rigorously just before we even launched it. And then what we were able to do is because we operate in a DTC channel, we launched the this peel, this what ended up being our new peel product just on a limited edition to see what the reaction was. And so we launched it in June and we had, to your point, we had the data which told us how fast it was selling, what other products customers were buying with it, were they indeed using it as an add-on to their daily exfoliant because that daily exfoliation is incredibly important. We want people to get the best results and we didn't want that to go away. So we got that feedback. We also immediately got product reviews. There were conversations on social media. We So through all these channels, the data and through just what our customers were telling us, it was, we saw that it was having incredible results. I mean, the first, I would say the first reviews that came in, I think we had like 98% five-star reviews. I mean, it was just overwhelming. We knew we had something here. And so we were able to, you know, with our digital channel, we, we were able to, launch it, be able to communicate it to our customers that, was limit, that it was limited edition. Um, and then we after the limited edition, then bring it back this month and be able to lean into um, what we learned in that test. So leaning into some of the, some of the, um, the education points about, you know, it being this rinse off, pro this rinse off product, but also letting our customers also, um, kind of speak for and advocate for the product for us. So, 
hearing in the customer, having new customers to the product, hear in the customer's words what they were experiencing. What problems did it solve for them? Who was it right for? Um, so that was all part of our relaunch and how we, and our permanent launch, and how we'll con- be continuing to market that product for quite some time. You know, Erica, when you think about the year ahead, you know, obviously we're still in kind of pandemic living, but how do you want to approach growth this year? Is it through product? Is it through new initiatives? Like, you know, I keep thinking, I I remember, I think I told you this, that I was talking to Vinette at Finenco and she said, you know, this, you are, you know, Paul's Choice is like the brand. It's like the digitally native brand that like everyone kind of tries to emulate. So I'm wondering what you're, you know, what you have your eye on in terms of growth and what's like the ultimate for you and the company. If I look at the year ahead and even the three years ahead, it is, there is so much opportunity to grow our core. So for us to continue to innovate in skincare, our research team is focused on ingredient research, what's going to really be a game changer and be beneficial for skin. Um, I mentioned to you that we have a lab here in our offices. That's exactly what they're doing behind me right now, a couple of doors down. Um, So us being able to continue to bring that ingredient knowledge and that coming through with the quality of our products is going to be at a level, going to just continue to raise our game and have that be at a level like never before. Um, In terms of introducing customers to our products, we we see opportunities across all age groups. We are we we are resonating and over indexing with these younger groups, and so there is. If I just look at the runway through TikTok, but as other channels emerge as well, that's just going to be such an opportunity for us. We're well suited there. The buzz we've gotten there has been just organic, and so for us to continue to be part of that conversation will be really exciting. Um, our, our digital channels just continue to offer so much opportunity. We, we have the data to show how tapped in we are in terms of how many people have been in the whole digital ecosystem out there, how many people have been introduced to Paula's Choice, and how many people we can still bring the brand to, um, ultimately to help them with their skin. And that opportunity is vast. It's immense. And so these strategies I've been talking about with you, it just really doubling down on that to drive this growth is there's going to be a lot ahead. Erica, you know, I asked this question to kind of everybody who's still an indie brand and not part of a conglomerate yet, or, you know, a private equity firm or a VC firm, you know, I'm wondering, like, when you look at a company like Elf, which was very digitally native too in the old days, still is, you know, and I think one of the things that were most attractive to IPO, to, you know, to conglomerates, strategics, was that it was digitally native. I mean, is that at all on your mind, like something of that kind of level for the company? We, I, what I will say is that I think the sky's the limit. If you look at who our brand appeals to, the traction we're getting across so many different age groups, the opportunity just in digital alone, but we haven't even tapped into physical retail, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. And nothing to share now, right? Erica, you're not gonna, there's nothing you're keeping from me quite yet. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, And then I guess lastly, Erica, you know, I'm just wondering about when you think about being a leader right now and, you know, keeping people motivated, keeping people excited about what you do day in and day out when we're all Zooming, like what's been priority for you and, and for your employees? For us, 
The really great thing about working for a company like Paula's Choice, like no other, is that people really get behind what we do in terms of helping people and helping them find the best skincare and us being just that being a mission and us absolutely being dedicated to that. And so it's it's amazing the passion that every single person at this company feels. That's everything from our content team to our creative team, those working in the digital channels, to our distribution centers and making sure we get product to our customers. So just the brand ethos is something that inspires why people come to the company. It inspires them once they're here. And it keeps me coming to work every day as well because I, I really feel proud about what we're doing and every, and everyone here truly does. We, for us, in such a fast-changing world, we have, we do use what we call the agile way of working. So we have, you know, backlogs where we prioritize and we work in one-week sprints. Ultimately, the goal and the reason we do that is that we're constantly focused on the customer and providing value to the customer. So that's what drives the prioritization. That drives what we do in any given sprint for a week. And that's collaborative. Every single one of our agile teams is cross-functional and we work together in that way. And so that is for us to all be on the same page, for us to be cohesive, for us to be rallying around the same priorities, and then for us to be making sure we're focused on what's going to be most important to the customer. Because when you're a brand growing like ours, you can do a hundred different things on any given day and it will add value. So you need to figure out what's going to be the most important, what's going to add the most value to the customer. Um, and we, we constantly do that to make sure we're doing that. Erica, it was so great having you. I love talking to you. And I feel like so many of our listeners today are just going to be not only fascinated about the brand story, but just like what you're doing day in and day out, because I think it's a lot and it, it's definitely noticeable on this end. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.